You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. We're coming to you live from Hobart, Tasmania. And I'm your host, Jason Cook. And of course, today is Thursday, and every Thursday we have Peter Watts in the studio with us, and he's continuing his series titled Searching for Certainty. Welcome, Peter. Well, welcome, Jason. It's great, great <laughs> to you. be here. Thank you very much. How are you, Peter? I'm feeling well. I'm, I'm feeling well. That's good. That's good. Um, I had a I had a uh, a quick trip down to Bruny Island yesterday, and mm. um, it was uh, a lot more exercise in one day than I'm used to. Uh, <laughs> you climbed, climbed a mountain, climbed a mountain, and back. But uh, however you know, big the mountain is in Bruny Island, I, I'm feeling good, even even if a little, uh, you know, few muscles that uh, haven't been used for a while. <laughs> But uh, Peter, today we're going to be talking about money, and uh, you know it's commonly believed, I guess, in our society, in our culture, and promoted through advertising and other things that if we just had a bit more money, a few more things, you know, that new gadget or whatever it is, that we would be happier. That seems to be the messaging of a lot of our advertising that we see. Sure, um, and many uh, participate in lotteries, hoping to win the jackpot. Uh, others might uh, head down to the casino and uh, try their luck on the various uh, machines or games down there. Um, is that what you call them, games? You know, the the, uh, the different... Uh, gaming. Gaming. The, I guess yeah. so. Well, look, I, w- I was... Jack and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't even know what they're called. but <laughs> Well, I was certainly one of those per- persons who believed that if I had more money, then I would be happier and... Uh, I guess, you know, some years ago now, but I, I was involved in gambling of one kind or another. I used to um, used to play snooker in the UK, and I used to, we used to gamble on that. Mm. And I used to play cards, um, poker, um, gamble on that, and also uh, the horse racing. I used to gamble on the horse racing. I, I uh, so remember. You, you really liked uh, doing oh, these various yeah, well, things. I mean, I believed that that notion, right? But, yeah. And and like you say, it's advertised to us in you know how how many betting websites are there these days that are advertised you know on the on the TV. Mm. You know, there's a lot of online betting, particularly you know through your mobile. Um, the idea being that you can you can win that you can win money and you'll be uh, better off. Of course, most of the time people end up. Yeah, I'm I'm too much of a, uh, I guess, a mathematician when it comes to some of this stuff because I think, well, the odds aren't very good. (laughs) So I I tend to, uh, to, you know. Well, I had a friend and I, we we put uh, some money on a horse race and we we had got a tip, you see, from a stable lad Mm. uh, saying this is a a horse that they're, you know, planning to train up to win this big race and get your money on early. And I think we put money on at 33 to 1. And uh, something like four hundred odd dollars in terms of Australia. It was back in the UK, but this was in in Australian terms. It would be about four hundred dollars on the nose to win thirty three to one. We got those odds, and uh, every we- every couple of weeks the horse would race in a, r- a race, and it would be doing better and better and better. And the odds on it winning this big race were shortening. Mm. And uh, the idea was it was going to race every couple of weeks. Well, the two weeks two weeks just before the big race. Uh, it snowed and cancelled the meeting, mm. so so it cancelled the the race meeting that it was going to this last preparatory race, 
And of course, when it came, I think it came seventh or something, you know. In, in, so we lost all our money. Two weeks later, it came in first. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, sometimes I think God uh, actually allows us to to go through some of those things so that we don't get. It's stuck. a protection. Yeah, absolutely. Because we we had said, you know, if we win, we're going to go to uh, the states and we're going to go to the casinos and da 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 da. Mm. And I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could have happiness? That was not connected to your bank balance. Mm. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be good to be able to be happy regardless of what was in your bank balance, whether that was big mm. or whether that was small? And we want to talk today a little bit about what the Bible says about money. Mm. And I guess in relation to this, there are probably two extremes that people think about in terms of what the Bible says about money. And those two extremes would be, number one, God wants people to be poor. And number two, God wants people to be rich. Mm. Uh, and the the notion of that is is a little bit uh, skewed. And, and, you know, maybe people have heard of the prosperity gospel where, you know, you do this, this and this, and God is going to bless you abundantly and you will be financially wealthy. Mm. Now, there's no question God promises blessings, but it's not always in terms of your bank balance. Uh, the other uh, opposite end of the coin is some people think that God is against rich people mm. uh, and certainly riches can uh, turn our heads away from God they can um, corrupt our minds the Bible talks about that mm. but on the same token there are a lot of people in the Bible who were godly faithful people who were wealthy mm. and so uh you know, sometimes we, we have to deal with, with some of those myths. You know, the Bible and Jesus himself talked a lot about money. Uh, you think about the, um, the, the story of uh, him cleansing the temple of all the money changers uh, at the temple. And then Levi Matthew, of course, was one of his disciples. He was, he a, was tax a tax collector. collector. Yeah. Um, you know, he would talk about the pearl of great price and hidden treasure. And there's a story about the temple tax. <coughs> and he would say, beware of covetousness. Beware of chasing after that which you don't have mm. and so uh, we want to talk a little bit about that today um, and what the bible says about money so maybe to begin with we could go back to the beginning um, let's let's go to genesis chapter one and uh, we'll read verse 28 i might get you to read that jason yeah um, and it says then god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so this is right back at the beginning, and God has created uh, this beautiful planet, this paradise. He's created Adam and Eve. He's put them in it, and he's telling them now to have dominion. And that means that they are basically to have control of this planet mm. uh, to a large extent. They, they're the ones, they're like the king and the queen of planet earth and uh what a nice wedding gift that is uh, here's a whole planet mm. um so they they were you, you could they didn't have a lot of um cash in their pockets they didn't even have pockets but um they they uh would you say they were wealthy they had an entire planet yeah you exactly. know they owned the planet mm. and so effectively what we see here is god is the creator he is the one who owns the world but he has given management of it to Adam and Eve. Mm. Um, and so that's an important uh, element. Sometimes this is called stewardship. He has given them stewardship. That is to say, God owns it, but he has given 
the management of it to to Adam and Eve here, mm. and uh, but but clearly God is the owner. There's a psalm, a Psalm twenty four one, which points this out. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. All right, this is very clear that God owns the world, right? Mm. The, the earth is the Lord's, all its fullness, even those who dwell on it. That's you and me. Mm. Everything belongs to God. You know, uh, there's a verse in uh, the New Testament. It says, what did you? What do you have that you did not receive? Mm. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of like everything we've received from somewhere else. The very life we have, we got from our parents who got it from their parents and all the way back to Adam and Eve. So uh, the Bible's just making this clear that everything on earth belongs to God, you know, period. Here's another one in Psalm 50, verse 10. It says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Not only does he own the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills they are on. Mm. You know, so uh, God owns it. And there's a lot of verses regarding this. We're just talking about uh, a few of them. But what about the money in my pocket? I mean, I uh, I work, I get paid. Surely that's mine, right? We, well, we, we think it is. <laughs> we have, we'd, we'd like to think it is. Um, and Haggai 2.8 uh, reminds us, uh, maybe you can read that one, Jason. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so back then they were using silver and gold as currency. Mm-hmm. And um, he's saying the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Uh, so even that, but what about, you know, if I go out to work, surely what I earn is mine. And um, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, there's an interesting passage here. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So here it's saying that it's God who gives us the power to get that wealth. You know, when uh, when we're sick, we can't work too well. And so do we appreciate the health that we have? We talked a little bit last week about abundant living. Mm. And uh, do we appreciate that every breath we take, every heartbeat, the ability we have, the Bible talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made, we very much take that for granted, I think, each day until we get sick, until something stops working, then we think, oh, wasn't it wonderful to be free and, and able to, to use, you know, the, the body I have? And so even when we're at work, we're, we have to recognize that the abilities we have, the function of our body, the, the function of our brain, all of these things are gifts from God. And uh, when we understand that, we start to have a better relationship, I think, to money when we understand that it's all come as a result of God's gift of life. Mm, absolutely. So I think that's important. And uh, we're going to talk about some principles uh, when we come back after the break. Awesome. Well, let's do that. But before we go, we're going to ask you a question. How has your relationship with God influenced your relationship to money? So how has your relationship to God influenced your relationship to money? Text us in on 0488-880-891. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're going to go to the break, so perhaps uh, have a think about that question whilst we have a listen to this song by Ellie Holcomb, and it's called Do Not Worry. See the birds that are singing in the spring air They're giving everything they need 
They don't worry where their next meal will come from. They don't worry about a thing. So just look around you. Try to listen to the song creation sings. Don't you worry, 'cause you're in the hands of the God who made everything. Made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM, and this morning we're talking with Peter Watts about the topic of money. What the Bible says about money. Just before the break, we asked you a question: How has your relationship with God influenced your relationship to money? And we've got some people texting in. We'll uh, we'll share perhaps some of those a little bit later. But uh, before we do, um, I'm just going to ask Peter. What else does the Bible say about money? I'm sure it says more than what we've covered so far. But the first thing, I guess, in summary is that God has dominion over the earth. Yes. It's his. He owns everything, including me. Yeah. Including me and my wallet. So what else does the Bible say about money? Sure. So if we acknowledge that, I mean, that that's the thing. Is if we uh, acknowledge that God does own everything, I mean, because we're talking about the Bible here. And so... There are some specifics, actually, that that um, people may or may not have heard of. There's a passage in Genesis where we we read about uh, a principle that God placed uh, in in Scripture, and we see God's people following through Scripture. And um, it's uh, it's in Genesis 14, 18 to twenty. And I'll give you a little bit of background here. Uh, Abraham, his uh, nephew Lot had been uh, taken captive uh, by a whole bunch of uh, enemy raiders and uh, he then gathered together uh, some uh, 
troops and helpers and, and they went and, and retrieved Lot and his family and so forth. And there were there was a lot of spoil and uh, he's coming back from that battle and he meets a man called Melchizedek, king of Salem. And maybe I'll get you to read that. It's in Genesis fourteen eighteen to 20. Says that then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. All right, so Abram goes to Melchizedek and he gives him a tithe. Now, what is a tithe? Simply put, a tithe is one-tenth. So, in other words, of all the increase that Abraham Abraham had uh, received, he gave a tenth to Melchizedek, who was the priest of the Most High God. Mm. Okay, so uh, he returned this uh, this tenth. Now, this is a principle that we see a little later on in Genesis twenty eight, verse twenty two. Uh, this is Jacob speaking, which is the grandson of Abram. And uh, he says, of all, all, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Mm. So first of all, there's two things here that Jacob is acknowledging. Number one, all that you give me. So everything he receives is recognizing has come from God. Mm. And then he's saying, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. That's a tithe. That's what a tithe means. So God is indicating here what our response should be as an acknowledgement that he owns everything. Mm. So this is not uh, God collecting taxes. This is, uh, this is God saying, uh, if you believe that I own everything, if you believe that everything good comes from God, if you believe your increase comes from God, then I'm asking you to return one-tenth a tithe in order that you're, you're recognizing that all your blessing comes from me. And uh, it's very specific, uh, this, this, this tenth. And uh, it was used for a particular purpose. We noticed before that Abraham returned his tithe to Melchizedek, who was priest of the Most High God. We look down uh, at Leviticus 27, verse 30. Why don't you read that for us, Jason? And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Back in Bible times, when uh, Leviticus was written, of course, uh, tithe, a tenth of your increase, was often returned in agricultural terms. So you would be, uh, you know, reaping your uh, bushels of wheat or you would be reaping the harvest of your fruit. Mm. And a tenth of that was to go to the Levites to support the work of the tabernacle, to support the priesthood, to support ministry. And so that was the purpose of the tithe. And, uh, of course, the the Levites received no uh, inheritance in terms of land, and so uh, they were responsible for servicing the, uh, the tabernacle. And so... It was for ministry, and that's why they returned tithe. That's where it went. Um, now, it's interesting because when God was talking to his people in the Old Testament, in Malachi 3.8, he asks this question. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet, yet you have robbed me, says the Lord, but you say, In what way have we robbed you? So God is saying to his people, Will a man rob God? You have robbed me. How 
know if they robbed him. He's going to tell them in a minute. I want to um, just reference a little story here that may uh, help to to uh, reference this. It comes from a few years ago, um, back in uh, 2005, I think it was, um, in Vail, Colorado, USA. There were two men who'd gone over there for a bit of a working holiday. One was a New Zealander, one was a an Australian. Two young men, and they were in the town, they were working in the town, and they had this bright idea about robbing the local bank. Mm. Uh, they obviously felt that they would be happier if they had more money, and they were persuaded that this was a get-rich-quick uh, scheme, rob the bank. And so they did that. They went in and they uh, held up the bank, had the people hand over money, and uh, they, they put uh, masks on. But here's the thing. Uh, they were caught the day after, basically, and the newspaper headline reported on them, and they called them Dumb and Dumber, because um, whilst they, they held up the bank, uh, they used uh, little BB guns or air pistols to, mm. to hold up the bank. They had masks on, but they were well known in the town because they were an Australian and New Zealand. I don't know yeah. how many Australians and New Zealanders there are in, in Vale, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Um, they didn't disguise their accents. Mm. They did have hoods on, but they also had their name tags on from the place that they were. <laughs> so, so it was not <clears throat> difficult to mm. identify them. And when police caught up with them, they actually have pictures that they'd taken on their phones of them holding all the money. Mm. So it was, you know, pretty conclusive and they were uh, listed as dumb and dumber. And so the question, I guess, we, we want to ask out of this story is... Um, would you rob somebody if you knew that you were being watched and you were going to be caught? Mm. Would you do it? You know, and they, they didn't realise just how uh, identifiable they were, you know. And uh, what it, what it, the relation to this, of course, is that verse in Malachi 3.8. Uh, I'll read you the rest of it. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, In what way have we robbed you? And it says, in tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So God is chalking here to the children of Israel, who very well knew about the principle of tithing. They understood that tithing was about um, acknowledging that God owned everything and returning to him a tithe as an acknowledgement of that fact. He goes on in uh, Malachi 3, 8 to 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, into a central place, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of, of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So God is saying is if we are faithful in this principle that he has outlined of this tithe, then he will pour out a blessing that we're not able to receive. It'll be so great. And so um, that tithe was to be used for ministry, uh, and that's still the case today. Uh, if we, we look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, there's a piece here that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. It says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. 
Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So, as always was the case, the idea of the tithe was to support the ministry. Mm. And uh, God had uh, intended that. And if you think about it, there are certain uh, things in the Bible where God says, uh, this is for you, and then there's a portion for me. So, for instance, if you think of... uh, the the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God says, of all the trees in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And so uh, they could eat of all the trees in the garden, but they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was, was God's command. We might think of the seventh-day Sabbath, right, which we've talked about in an earlier program. God says six days you shall labor and yep. do all your work, but the seventh day belongs to me, and uh, in it you shall do no work. And then, of course, the tithing principle, 90%, God says, you choose what you do with that. But 10% is holy. The Bible calls it holy, mm. and uh, it belongs to, to the Lord. It was that, that uh, the verse that we just read references the, uh, the holy things, and uh, obviously the money that goes towards supporting yeah. that ministry is also holy. That's right. Back in Leviticus 27, we'd read that uh, the tithe is is holy to the Lord. Mm. And so um, this principle is there because God wants us to acknowledge him. Now, some people will say, well, you know, if God owns everything, you know, what is he short of money? I mean, like, what does he want? Why does he need our 10%? That's right. (laughs) Why does he want the money in my pocket? How does does that help? And actually, it's not got anything really to do with God Mm. as much as it's got to do with us. Uh, the reason why God wants for us to give is because he is a great giver. God is a great giver because um, we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The most precious thing that God could possibly have given, he gave to humanity mm. in the person of Jesus. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there's a, a verse in First John. Uh, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Mm. Um, and so God is a great giver. He wants us to learn how to be givers. And so he lays out in Scripture a principle by which we can um, participate in a systematic act of giving that helps us to be willing and, and learn how to give freely. We've got a book offer today, Peter, called The Giving Equation, Working Mm -hmm. Out Your Relationship with God and Money by Ken Long. And uh, we will give you a bit more information about that. So The Giving Equation, that's our free book offer. Uh, We'll give you the code, obviously, later in the program. But uh, right now we're going to listen to this song. And it's a good one on this topic. It's called My Worth is Not in What I Own. This is Keith and Kristen Getty. Lose 
Listening to Tazian Encounters on Faith FM. 
And uh, during the break, we had lots of uh, messages come in. We'll read uh, and share just a couple of them. Uh, Franco says that money is not the answer. I was poor, now wealthy. At the end, loving Jesus is Jesus Christ is all you need. Amen, mm. Franco. Thank you for that. And uh, another one from David in Western Australia. Um, we paid our mortgage off because we only spend on needs and save for wants, so as to be owned by no man. Hallelujah. So uh, that's obviously changed his relationship uh, with God by spending yeah. only on the needs and uh, saving for the wants. Uh, that um, would be my testimony too. Is not not so much about the mortgage, but um, in the, the 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 way that you relate to money. I, mm. I think. Uh, you know the Bible says not. You know don't do not worry about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear, because he, the Jesus says that the, the the after these things everybody, you know seeks, but he says your Father, you know God knows that you need these things. Therefore, do not worry about them, mm. but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Mm. So there's a great deal of peace of mind, I think. Uh, when we have God in our lives and we understand this. But the Bible does indeed say a lot about money, and Jesus said a lot about money in a lot of his parables and a lot of his teachings as well. So when we were talking earlier about Malachi uh, and where it says, will a man rob God, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings, obviously God is talking here to a group of people who know about this tithing principle. Mm. And some people may be hearing this for the first time today. You know, Maybe they've never heard the, the term tithe. I know I remember... I remember when I first started going to church, I remember talking to the local pastor and saying to him, you know, I, I get offerings that, you know, pass the plate round or pass the bag round, that's an offering. But what's a tithe? I didn't know, didn't have a clue what a tithe was. And then uh, that was sort of explained to me. So the Bible talks about both tithes and offerings. Now, tithe is a tenth of your increase. That's what it is. And... Um, you know, if somebody was saying, well, if I wanted to start tithing today, you know, how do I do it? Do I tithe on everything I've earned since I was, you know, 10 years old or whatever? Uh, no, you, God, God simply calls us to tithe upon that which we increase from this moment on. Mm. You know, we, we don't have to backdate our tithe, thankfully. Um, but, but, you know, if we, if we want to practice that tithing principle that God calls us to, uh, then that's how we would do that. What about offerings? In Deuteronomy 16, verse 17, it says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. So it's, there's two things here. There's tithe, which God stipulates at a tenth, 10%. And then there's offerings, which is completely in our hands. God, God says, as you've been blessed, return an offering uh, to him. And this is how uh, the work of ministry is, is sustained. It was in the Old Testament, and as we've read in First Corinthians, so Paul <coughs> mentions it in the New as well. So, Peter, before you were saying uh, that you know, God doesn't need our money. Correct. He He owns everything anyway. It's His. That's right. Um, so, and and you were saying that it was more for our benefit, but we haven't really fleshed that out. Mm. So, so it's <laughs> it, yes. Yeah, so we were talking about the fact that so. Sometimes I use this as an illustration. Imagine you've got two little boys and you put five jelly beans out in the middle of the table and you say, there, boys, you know, share those. Uh, we don't have any problem taking 
but we do have a problem giving. Mm. You could imagine those two boys, you know, are they going to say, well, I'll have two, you have two, and you have the spare one. No, 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 you have the spare one. Uh, but you, usually kids are going to fight over that spare jelly bean. In fact, they might want all five for themselves. Uh, because because of the sin problem, we are naturally selfish. We are naturally takers. We don't have to teach people how to take, but we do have to teach people how to give. And uh, I think part of the tithing principle uh, is God trying to help us to learn how to give because he is a great giver. And the point is we were made in the image of God. We have fallen from that image, but God is seeking to restore the image of God in man. And because God is a great giver, he wants us to learn how to give. And I guess it also changes our relationship with money. You know, that there's that saying that many people misquote, mm. money is the the root of all evil. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but well, uh, it, it changes, doesn't it? When we, when we learn to give, it changes our relationship to money. Absolutely. But the actual quote was not money is the well, root of all evil. Well, let's read that actual quote. This is in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read 6 to 8. Uh, sorry, 6 to 10, I should say, because there's a lot of good material in here. Mm. So this is First Timothy chapter 6, 6 to 10. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yeah. So, so it's, it's the love of money. It is the money. love of money. There it is. So we all recognize the practical benefits of money, right? Mm. We have money and we're able to make transactions and uh, we all ha- have some money and we all use money. Um, so it's not that money in itself is evil. Okay, and even uh, as you mentioned, it's not the money is the root of all evil, but rather the love of. Mm. And this is the thing: is is where is our love directed? And uh, this is what God knows. I mean, Jesus says, "Beware of covetousness." Okay, and and what he means by that is beware of this notion of desiring something that you don't have. Mm. And it's not simply because uh, that thing that you're focusing on might be good or bad that that's not the issue it's if you're focusing on something you don't have it means you are becoming discontent and god does not want us to become discontented uh because there's there's no happiness in being discontented and so it's the love of money that he's talking about here and i think one of the reasons he puts the tithing principle uh into place is to help us to learn how to be givers rather than takers mm. and um so now we talked about tithe and we mentioned, I think we already mentioned about offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, so why give? It's really about trust, not treasure. It is about faith, not finance. And it is about mission, not money. Um, you know, around the world, uh, many missionaries have been sent out to places where Christianity was unknown and they've gone there because they were supported by others who gave money in order for the support of that, that missionary or that missionary venture. And uh, 
I guess God wants us to have ownership of the mission. God could have saved people without our aid. You know, he doesn't have to involve human beings. He could have Mm -hmm. done it all through the Holy Spirit and the angels. Why involve humans at all? Um, And he does that, I think, because he wants us, number one, to understand what the mission is and what it means to to um, sacrifice and to live in order to that other people might be saved. But also, he wants us to have the joy of seeing souls brought to Christ. And uh, I think that's why God wants us to partner with him in mission and also to partner in um, supporting those who are in missionary activity. Mm. Well, it's time for another break. Uh, the Giving Equation is our book offer today, Working Out Your Relationship with God and Money by Ken Long. It's logical that if I give a certain amount of money, I have less money left to live on. That's simple mathematics, but it's also an equation that makes many people reluctant to give. The giving equation provides a fresh and uh, <clears throat> sorry, a fresh way of thinking about stewardship, explaining two different mindsets towards our personal finances. And uh, he uses this uh, concept: the G economy and the me economy. Far from causing us to lose out, giving has things to offer that lead us to an abundant life. Now, that was the title of our uh, topic last week. Mm. It was talking about health, but we can also have an abundant life through giving as well, both now and for eternity. This book has a unique and logical perspective on giving that helps break down prejudice and promote generosity. And it is all biblically based and gives examples from the Bible and also from real life as well. So we would encourage you to text in. We've got only six copies of this book to give away. After the break, we'll give you the code. But now here is Andrew Peterson with All You'll Ever Need. Blood of Jesus, it is like the widow's oil. It's enough to pay the price to set you free. It can fill up every jar and every heart that ever beat. It's all you have, it's all you'll ever need When it's all you have, it's all you'll ever need But of Jesus, it is like the leper's river Running humble with a power you cannot see Seven times go under, let the water wash you clean. Only go down to the Jordan and believe. Only go down in the Jordan and believe. And I need it, I need it. Closer than I grow, more I come to know how much I need. Like Elijah's fire Falling on the altar of your faith All the wisdom of the world Could never conjure up a spark No power of hell could ever quench this flame No power of hell could ever touch this flame Change. 
blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, it is like the widow's oil. When it's all you have, it's all you'll ever need. It is all you'll ever need. Andrew Peterson with All You'll Ever Need. Now I promise to give you the code to our book offer today and now is the time. The code is SEARCH29. Now if you haven't got the number written down here's your chance. I'll say it really slowly 0488 880891 the book offer The Giving Equation, Working Out Your Relationship with God and Money for today's free offer, text in SEARCH and the number 29, no spaces, to 0488 We have got just six copies of that, so the first six people to text in that code will get a copy of this book. So, Peter, we've got about seven minutes left and there's still a bit of stuff to co- cover here. So, well, there's so what, much what to have say. you got left? Yeah, there's so much to say from a biblical perspective about this. And I just want to sort of reiterate that God loves all people. And so he loves people who've got lots of money and he loves people who don't have any money. Um, that, that is unchanging. That's not the point. And uh, sometimes we get the uh, idea that God wants all the rich people to give everything away and become poor. Uh, and yet there were some wealthy people in the Bible. Abraham was wealthy. Uh, we read about Job. He was a wealthy man. Um, and so, uh, you know, God blessed Solomon uh, with, with uh, great wealth. And, um, you know, sometimes we find that uh, the blessings of the Lord, uh, we, we can turn to, to um, you know, the wrong direction. And, and that, that can be... Uh, a problem for us, and, and I think that's a problem for God. When He when He prospers His people, sometimes we forget about Him, um, and you know it's it's interesting to see that again and again in Scripture. Mm. But um, in terms of giving, we talked about why give, and and it was because God wants to teach us how to be givers. Second Corinthians um, nine uh, six and seven it says, "But I say this, uh, this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver mm-hmm. and uh this is what i mean it's not something that we are giving because we have to but God is wanting to us to understand. It's it's not a burden, it but it, I guess it's it, you know it, it's uh, it's similar to many Christian principles, isn't it? That uh, when we give, yeah. it's not because we have to, but it's because we want to. Yeah, exactly. Mm. God has changed our heart, mm. and He's changed our relationship to money. It's not the love of money anymore. Mm. It's the love of God, and mm. uh, we use what God has given us to be a blessing to others. So. There's a story in Business Insider, actually, uh, Business Insider Australia back in 2017. They had this uh, headline, 20 lottery winners who lost every penny. And uh, sometimes we wish, you know, if we could just win the lottery, wouldn't it be nice? You know, you get that ad. And um, But this, uh, this article details, you know, winning the lottery will not solve all of life's problems. In fact, many people 
people's lives became notably worse after they hit the jackpot, as you can see from the following cautionary tales. And they detail the the stories of many people who had won the lottery and, you know, within five years or within a couple of years, they're, they're actually back to where they were or worse. Sometimes they were worse off than they were before the lot. And you think, how can that yeah. possibly happen? Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, sometimes people don't know how to manage money. You know, you so you could give them a million dollars and it wouldn't last very long because they wouldn't necessarily know how to manage it. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of our uh, challenges in regards to money come from the managing of money as much as have how much we actually have. And so, um, you know, sometimes you'd find that these people who had won the lottery, they suddenly developed a whole host of new friends that they didn't realize they had. And, of course, a lot of that money got frittered away. And then, of course, they were fair-weather friends, and those friends disappear once the money runs out. Mm. Um, or, you, you know, you find you've got a whole lot of relatives that suddenly take a new interest in you. Um, and uh, all sorts of causes that, that are looking for that money. So winning the lottery is not the answer to happiness. Uh, it's marketed that way, but it really isn't. The other thing for us to think about is um, this life, we have an opportunity to find out if we want more. Basically, we have this life, and God is saying, who wants more life? Mm. I have everlasting life to give it, it to you. Isn't that winning the lottery? <laughs> that it really is winning the lottery. And we didn't even have to buy a ticket. Exactly. And so to me, that's what I have always said is, you know, uh, finding Jesus, finding the gospel for me was mm. like winning the lottery. Mm. Uh, there's a show on TV that uh, people will know, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And, you know, how, how do we respond to that question? And my response to that question, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? My response would be, why would I take a pay cut? Mm. In other words, it's not about what's in my bank account, but there is a heavenly bank account. There is an inheritance, Jesus tells us, that, that awaits for us in heaven that is much greater than any bank here, that cannot be taken away, that, that cannot be stolen, that does not deteriorate, that isn't corrupted. Uh, and that is there waiting for us. And if I believe that then I'm richer than the richest people on earth, right? If that's actually true, then I'm richer than the richest people on earth. So who wants to be a millionaire? Why would I take a pay cut? I'm richer now than I've ever been because I know that there's an eternity for me that Jesus has purchased. Um, the Bible says that we were bought at a price and that price was the Son of God. And so it's just understanding, I guess, how much value God places on each and every one of us and how much worth that we have in his sight regardless of what's in the bank account mm. and the, the the belief and the understanding that God will care for his people mm. uh, I think that's a wonderful thing we've, we've had a few songs uh, sharing that message today Peter with uh, indeed you know my worth is not what I own <laughs> yeah maybe maybe we could read uh, Matthew yeah um, this one here, Matthew chapter six, nineteen to 20. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Yeah, and so ultimately that's the... Uh the, the, the lesson here is that our attitude to money is governed by 
our attitude to God. In other words, our relationship to God, as you've asked in that question, uh, Jason, our relationship to God does change our relationship to money. Mm. And God wants us to learn how to give simply because it's a reflection of his character. You know, just on that, we've had a, a beautiful message come in from Margie. She says, I think the big thing about being wealthy is that your heart must be big on sharing it. To receive the blessing from the Lord, you must bless those in need. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's a principle, isn't mm. it? That uh, God, if, if God does bless us with wealth, um, we should be generous as well. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Um, now, Peter, I think we are just about at the end of our program time. Um, just uh, want to tell us what you've got planned for next week. Okay, so next week we're changing gears because we are talking about the seven last plagues and people might wonder, well, why on earth would you want to talk about the seven last plagues? We're going to have to actually look at that story. We're going to look at it in the context of the book of Revelation. We're also going to look at what else uh, it says in, in those chapters. We're going to be looking at Revelation 15 and 16 and... Um, We've been talking in our series, Searching for Certainty, about some of the prophecies of the Bible. Well, this is another one of those. We're going back to the book of Revelation, the seven last plagues. I'm sure people will be fascinating to see what that says uh, as we uh, talk about that next week. Well, we hope you can join us next Thursday with Peter. Now, if uh, you have missed out on previous episodes, remember you can catch up on the Faith FM app. That's uh, on the Android and the Apple uh, app stores. You can download the Faith FM Australia app and you can find on that app the Tassie Encounters show or you can go to the website faithfm.com.au and you can catch up there. Now, if you've got any questions about today's program, feel free to text them in. We do monitor the number 0488 880 and we will get back to you. Tomorrow we've got David Maxwell joining us and I'll be speaking with him on a topic titled A Very Present Help. We do hope that you can join us tomorrow and, of course, next week with Peter. And remember the code for today, SEARCH29, the giving equation. We've still got a few to give away. This is our last song. This is my father's world. Chris Rice, have a good day. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears All nature sings and round me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world I rest me in the thought Of rocks and trees, of skies and seas his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world He shines in all that's fair In the rustling grass I can hear Him pass He speaks to me everywhere This is my Father's world
This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be one and earth and heaven be one and earth and heaven be one